Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. And something that I haven't done in a long time is uh, college football. It is a sport that for my job that I get paid for, I have to pay very close attention to, but that for this podcast gets uh, very little love. So I'm planning on doing more college football talk this year. And uh, actually my talented friend Donnie is cooking up a logo as we speak my guest today is uh jake hatch and this is going to be a subsidiary found on the end zone podcast um channel jake let me run this name by you it's a little bit cheesy but i ended up going with it we're gonna call this this kind of weekly segment which by the way our good uh, former employee and good friend of ours, Austin Facer, is helping me with with this endeavor a little bit. We're gonna try to record on Sunday mornings before the NFL slate really gets going. Uh, but the name of a show, or, or the name of this kind of segment, Pioneer Pigskin. I'm actually okay with that one. Like, yeah, that's all right. I I I can respect that because. Uh, we're in Utah, the pioneering spirit, obviously, with uh, the background of the state here. I, I'm actually okay with that. I think that's actually a pretty nifty nickname. Yeah, I, I kind of thought about it. You know, a lot of people were encouraging me to go something more like Mormon oriented. And I was like, I can't really do that because one, I'm not Mormon. And two, I don't have anything and I don't want to alienate like literally everyone that would <laughs> maybe try to listen to this. So uh, I, I I was very anti that and wanted to steer away from that. But one day it just came to me and I was like, I like alliteration, pioneer pigskin, that kind of works out. And, you know, there were pioneers that settled this valley. So oh, we'll, we'll go with that. I was going to say, I can tell you this much, the pioneering spirit, yeah, it exists in Utah, but that exists and do large part to the the large LDS population we have in this state. So I think it works perfectly, my friend. Yes, I, I thought so as well. So I'm glad that it's got the Catch stamp of approval. Today is an interesting show. Today we're going to break down a, a lot of the teams in Utah because that's what we, we pay attention to the most. Uh, some roster things we'll talk about. We'll talk about the most valuable players on each team, some X factor players and do some record predictions for these teams this year. Um, and then we're going to just rapid fire, kind of go throughout the rest of the country and do a draft where each conference uh, you and I will pick a team that we want to track this year and maybe who knows our schedules are about to get infinitely crazy but maybe there will be a, a quiet point in october where byu is on a bye week or something and we can get together and uh look back at our our teams and kind of see how things are going and touch in on the national college football landscape but also expect more weekly um in-state utah breakdowns talking about Utah State, Utah BYU on uh, Sunday afternoons, Sunday mornings, hopefully throughout the football season. I'm going to say that right now. If I can force myself to wake up by 845 on Sundays after 2 a.m. mornings on Saturdays. So we uh, on that same Sunday. So we'll see how that goes. But that's that's currently the plan. And uh, we'll, we'll see if 
maybe we can grow our listenership by by getting some uh, hopefully rabid Utah college football fans interested in, in this show. That's kind of my grand, grand scheme of things. What I hear is Eric is going to be running on very little sleep. So good, good call. I like this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought so too. I, I'm, I'm really trying to now that I'm not in school, just like let my body go, okay. just like give it over to football, and like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're. I've started exercising recently, so you know, I'm gonna go to the gym. At this football season, I'm gonna go to the gym, and then when I'm not in the gym, I'm gonna worry about football and and work, and which are one and the same. And uh, yeah, so what? And then we'll get to December, and I'll think, oh yeah, this is going to slow down, and then college basketball will be in full swing. And I'd like to do, you know, do a podcast about college basketball too. Uh, you know, I I've been kind of texting with our friend and also coworker Tim Lacombe about maybe him hopping on maybe once or twice a month during the college basketball season, which would be you know a, a fun thing there. So I, I'm just I'm just really trying to put out lots of podcasts and make my $100 a year for this audio hosting service worth it. That's, okay. that's, right. that's real. That's real. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> I, I, I can respect that. I, I, I can respect that, man. The hustle is real. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I've got to try at least. And, and all that being said, we may only put out one podcast a week during the season, but still one podcast a week isn't bad. Um, but I, I have delusions of grandeur in August. So let's just get into it here. Okay. Uh, the state of Utah. I'll let you go first. Uh, since you're a guest, do you want to start with the team you cover, the, the school I graduated from, or uh, the school that I uh, produce for? What, what, where, <laughs> where do you want to start? <laughs> Let's start off with the youth. Let's go up on the hill where, of course, you're an illustrious graduate of the University of Utah. Let's start off with the U. All right. Let's talk about Utah. Uh, if I had to describe Utah's upcoming season in a phrase, it would be great expectations. Uh, I don't think at least now I, I haven't been around very long just as a human in general, only 23 years at this point, but I would say within my lifetime, this is the highest expectations have ever been for a Utah team. And certainly as long as I've been working in radio, which has been about four years, this is the highest uh, amount of hype nationally and locally that Utah has gotten in since really maybe the last Tyler Huntley year. And, and even at that point, I, I, I think the hype's bigger than that season. So would you, would you agree with that going into this season? Um, or, or do you view it differently? I just feel like everybody thinks that the ceiling is just sky high for Utah. And if somehow they wander out of this with eight or nine wins, people are going to view that as a massive disappointment. Well, and see, that that's the thing right there, Eric, is they, they're coming off a Rose Bowl berth or coming off their first Pac-12 championship. This is a program that is built and built and built, over the, especially over the last five years, into what it's being. You're right. 
the expectations are sky high for this squad right now. And as they should be, because when you make the Rose Bowl, you've got all, all kinds of expectations being heaped upon you. And you obviously you are going to have people talking about you being a, a playoff contender this year. There are some people in the preseason poll. I think there were at least six I saw in the AP uh, top 25 poll that had the Utes in number four in the, in their ranking. So yeah, the expectations are sky high. Uh, really anything lower than, 11 and one is probably going to be considered a disappointing season for the Utes. As crazy as that is to say, to think about uh, saying that statement, but with all of the hype Utah has been receiving here in the preseason, all off season long coming off that Rose bowl birth and all that, there's a lot of people out there who are big believers in the Utes. So yeah, really anything short of 11 and one, a repeat trip to the Rose bowl, a playoff birth, that type of stuff. You got to get hit that lofty of a season to really live up to all of the hype that's being surrounded yeah no i i would totally agree with with that piece of analysis so well i think the reason that people are so bullish on this team is obviously because they have a lot returning they return their starting quarterback they return their star running back from last year tavion thomas the quarterback is of course cameron rising um they bring back two of the most dynamic tight ends in the country uh that which I was trying to find the tweet. I think Big Game Boomer must have deleted it. But I think at one point this offseason, there was some graphic released by one of these college football Twitter accounts that had Dalton Kincaid and Brant Keithy ranked as two of the top 10 tight ends in the nation, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they, they should be. They're, they're both fantastic players. I, I love watching them play. Uh, we've had a running joke with Michelle. You and I work on the Saturday show together on the Zone Sport, uh, on the Zone Sports, the KSL Sports Zone. I should get that. Yeah. One. Yeah. KSL Sports Zone. <laughs> but uh, we've had this running joke that we want to see a five tight end set for Utah this season at some point, put five tight ends on the football field. They've, they've got that deep of a unit, and they're led by the, obviously those two guys in Kincaid as well as Brand Keithy. They have got a ton of weapons, and that's the fun part if you're a Utah fan. It seems like everything's kind of matching up here with elite uh, tight end unit play, a really, really good running back as you have grown used to have Utah having, a, a transcendent quarterback. It's kind of the one thing Utah has this year that they haven't had often is having a quarterback that can seemingly elevate this program, and that's what Cam Rising is. So, yeah, the, the Utes right now, they are absolutely stacked, especially offensively. I guess really the only true question mark is will they have a guy like Devon Vele or Solomon Enos or somebody else in that wide receiving core that's going to step up into that role that Britton Covey left uh, last year and become that elite wide receiver. You get that, and I see no reason to think that Utah isn't going to be absolutely awesome offensively. A wild stat on this for an article I was writing the other day that I did some research on. Solomon Enos, Jalen Dixon, Devon Vele. A lot of hype around that group in camp, a lot of hype from Utah fans and Utah insiders alike. However, it's important to note only one Jalen Dixon in I believe 2019 okay of those wide receivers has ever put up a year with more than 500 yards wow okay like that's pretty crazy like Solomon Enos has never had a 500 yard season and neither has Devon Ville and and they're getting a lot of hype and and you know rightfully so sure but I'm sure they've both worked really hard but 
the matter of fact is, and I'm told this all the time, and I'd like it not to be true because I like passing and high-flying offenses, but Utah is a run-first team, and Kyle Whittingham is a run-first coach, and he yeah. can talk about, and I've been, this is what I've been told. I don't necessarily 100% believe this, but even though Kyle Whittingham says, I want the passing attack to be more explosive this year, there's like an 80% chance we roll into – October with Tavion Thomas at like 500 yards and on pace for another thousand yard season. And like, probably, I don't know, like 115 touches from the backfield this season. Like that, that doesn't seem out of a realm of possibility. And not to mention the backfield is crowded this year. Makai Bernard returns as not a cornerback, but a, a a running back. And he believes he can be, uh, I was listening to an interview with him the other day. He believes he can be less of a scat back this year and more of a running threat. Sure. Um, however, I think he performs best as a scat back. And I think there's definite advantages to using him that way. He was, He's an excellent receiver. He had that great touchdown catch in the Rose Bowl. And then they bring in this guy who's a four-star recruit in Jalen Glover, who's one of the highest running back recruits they've ever had. And you think, oh, there's a chance this guy maybe steals Tavion Thomas's job by October if he looks explosive enough. And uh, then all of a sudden you're back to playing Big Ten football in the Pac-12 and, uh, you know, all your running back, you know, I, you know, there there is a scenario where I think Tavion Thomas ends up with a thousand yards, Mike Mackay Bernard ends up with five hundred yards, and maybe even Jalen Glover ends up with close to five hundred yards. Like there, there's that seems like a very real possibility, much more likely than Devon Vele, Salmaninas, or Jalen Dixon, any one of them having more than five hundred yards. So let me put that question to you. What's more likely? That those three running backs have 500 yards or more each or that those three wide receivers have 500 yards more or, or i'll give you this even two of those wide receivers have 500 yards or more uh so i'm actually gonna I, i'm gonna say i'll take two wide receivers with 500 yards or more i, I really think that they want to put this offense let you're you're right in your assessment that kyle whittingham he, first and foremost he's a guy that's going to favor the rushing attack and he has a you said a really good stable of running backs i am a huge believer in this Jalen glover kid he sure looks like the part of the next great utah running back next part is guys like mckay bernard and tavion thomas there are going to be there as well so that, that that that's the positive on that front but i've i've got this just this sneaking suspicion and i've got no intel on this let me be very clear this is just me speaking my, my gut feeling tells me that i think that andy ludwig the offensive coordinator he wants to do a little more with the passing game this year and i think kyle whittingham has that implicit trust in andy ludwig to let him do this there's a lot, been a lot of talk about the fact that cam rising wasn't necessarily 100 percent with his shoulder last year it sounds like he is back to full strength and if that's the case if he's able to attack every angle of the field I think those wide receivers are going to be the beneficiaries of this. So I will take actually give me two of those receivers. Yeah, whether it's a Devon Vele and Salmias or any other combo out there, I could see two of them going over the 500 mark this season. I'll, I'll put that. I'll put my name to that one. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, the defense obviously always going to be good under Kyle Whittingham. Got a bunch of guys. Van Fillinger, just a sophomore, very good player last year in limited snaps that he had as a freshman. Uh, a lot of people really high on Junior Tafuna as well, who who had a really good end to last season, really good stretch run. Um, 
And then, I mean, you bring in Gabe Reed, Jonah Ellis on the edge type position, uh, aside Fillinger, but you, you've really got those that inside presence with Tafuna and that outside presence with Fillinger, and that's good. And then you've got, oh, only the highest touted player on this uh team NFL draft wise, which is Clark Phillips the third, who many project to be a day one NFL pick next season. Um I personally would not have him there quite yet. I think he needs probably another good season. Uh but I think if he has a season similar to last year, he'll be there. Um and then a lot of people, Michelle especially uh, on the show has brought this name up a, a few different times, but Travis Broughton, he is a guy that it seems like I, I've talked to Josh Newman a lot as well, and he's very high on, on Broughton as well. It seems like everyone is really, really high on this guy. So with those two coming together, and then honestly, my favorite player on the defense is Cole Bishop. There, there's just no way around it. He's my favorite. I, I just love box safeties and he's just a really good box safety. Like he just, he, he just knows how to hit people and he's in the right place at the right time. Almost all the time. That Oregon game last year was fantastic. It was one of the best games I've ever seen a safety play period at any level. I, th- yeah. I thought he was absolutely excellent in that game plays kind of that Derwin James role that, that for the chargers. Um, I, I don't know. The, the big thing I guess is there, there's really no weakness on this roster. Maybe, maybe the linebackers, but they do have the highest defensive recruit that the Utes have ever had. Correct. In, uh, in, in Lander Barton, probably starting and they bring in Mohamed Diabate, who played at Florida last year. Mm-hmm. And in my book, if you if you're an SEC linebacker, you're a pretty good linebacker. Like, I I don't know. I feel like it's almost a pointless exercise to talk about this roster because there's just not that many. Yeah, you know, and and this is not because I'm a Utah graduate. There's really just not that many holes on it. Well, and that, that, that's the thing about it is if there if there's one side of the football, as if you're a Utah fan, you're a college football fan, that you should not be worried about when it comes to Utah. It's the defensive side of the football. Kyle Whittingham and his defensive coordinator, Morgan Scally, they, they are absolutely dynamite in terms of uh, plugging holes when they need to, finding guys to step up and expecting guys to step up. You're, I, I, I'm, I'm totally okay with you thinking Cole Bishop is your dude. He's absolutely phenomenal. I think he's going to be a star. I think that this Utah defense, especially on the back end, that secondary should be very, very good this season if they have uh, some luck within the health department. Last year, they got absolutely decimated due to injuries. So I think the luck, just in terms of the overall uh, balance of things, they should have a, a better season just simply due to the fact I'm expecting them to be healthier on the back end of that defense. Defensive line, I think, is going to be very, very solid. Yes, the only question mark really is that linebacking core, but with the number of bodies in that linebacker room and the talent they've recruited there, the Calvert brothers, Mo Diabate, as you brought up, Lander Barton, uh, Karene Reed, et cetera, they'll find, they'll find the answer. They will find the answer there at linebacker, and I think this defense is going to be very, very stout once again. Yeah, no, I, I it's just hard to disagree with any of us uh takes which brings us really to the biggest um i guess enemy of the youths which is the schedule like it's really just like 
will you win enough games to be eligible to be in, you know, a college football playoff team. So let's just go through the schedule really quick as I as I pull this up here. Obviously, the headlining game is Florida mm-hmm. at Florida. A lot of conflict. I hear some things on Florida where some people are like, hey, Florida's going to be good this year. And some people are like, oh, it's kind of a rebuilding year for Florida. How much does a Florida win end up? I guess, how much does a Florida win end up mattering if Florida has kind of a down season and ends up going I don't know, seven or eight wins. Like they're bowl eligible, but they yeah. they kind of get blown out by Georgia and they don't really hang around in the SEC. There's been a lot of talk about what happens if they're a really competitive team, but I'm just wondering what, what you kind of think happens if it ends up that Florida's just a middling college football team that's going to make maybe an exciting bowl game somewhere and don't end up anywhere near the top 25 by the end of the year. Well, I think the biggest thing is Florida, they're an SEC program. They're always going to carry that cachet. Uh, so I, I think that, yeah, they're probably going to be a middle of the road SEC program. I'm with you in that, but you go down there and win in the swamp. That's a good win. I don't care how good or bad Florida is. You went to their house. If they do pull this off, go to Gainesville and win that game. You do not, uh, you don't throw that back. Let's put it that way. That that's a, that's an impressive, impressive win for Utah, and it would start their season the right way, and obviously continue the hype train with regards to Utah. Okay, this is a team that absolutely could make a run at the playoff. All right. Then also the the only other really notable out of conference game they play is San Diego State. I do think there's a scenario in which that's kind of a trap game, uh, less so because it's at home. I feel more confident about it in, in that regard, but I do think there's a chance that that San Diego State defense is just unreal this year, and the Utah offense early in the season struggles against it maybe, and it's a little bit of a slobber knocker. I don't think Utah probably loses that game, but that that's an interesting kind of game to watch. A, a few other highlight games on the schedule uh Oregon State I do think that's a bigger game than people make it out to be Oregon State's a rebuilding program that beat the Utes last year at when they went to Oregon State but you know that's a home game for Utah I think that's going to help Utah out a ton and I think there's some cachet to getting that win because that is a Pac-12 win that you absolutely have to have if you have a resume and then, uh, obviously, the other early season game is uh, USC in October, and it, it would help if USC it gets off to a hot start. I don't really see know how they're going to end up looking this year. I think that's something we might get to in our team drafts a, a little bit later. But let me just ask you this question about the use, because there always is I refuse to believe the Utes will get through the season without having some Pac-12 loss where you're like, how did they lose that game? Um, Because that's just how the Pac-12 operates. You're always going to lose to someone weird that you had no business losing to. And I I really do think that happens at some point this year. Even if it is USC, I think there's an argument to be made 
that you have no business losing to USC at home. But who who do you believe is the loss in this Pac-12 schedule? If I forced you to say there's going to be a loss in the Pac-12 schedule, because I, I just believe there's going to be a loss in the Pac-12 schedule somewhere. Well, let me give you a little background that'll help uh, establish your point there is in the history of the Pac-12, so since Utah and Colorado came into the conference, not a single team, Eric, not a single team in this conference has ever made an undefeated conference run. They, they, there's There's been some squads that have gone eight and one, uh, Utah among them, but never once has a team had a, had a perfect run through the Pac-12. So I don't think you can bet on that at this point. It's just a weird conference. There are weird losses all the time. So yes, I, I would agree with you. I think that there is going to be one of those head-scratching losses at some point. The, the Oregon State deal, I think Utah is going to be up for that one. They want some payback for losing up there in Corvallis last year. I think the game of the year is USC Utah. I think it's a preview of a potential Pac-12 championship game rematch in early December. Uh, that game is going to go a long way to really determining who's going to be the top dog in this conference. So that's the game right there that I've kind of circled. And I'm looking at saying, okay, that's the one I am most looking forward to. Uh, obviously, you win that game if you're Utah. If and this is ostensibly if you beat Florida. And at that point, you're going to have everybody and their dog uh, busting down your door saying, okay, this, this program's on their way to a Pac-12 title, uh, to the Rose Bowl at minimum, possibly the playoff. The, the, the thing about this is you've got some games out there, though, that loom that are those quote-unquote snake bite games where, where a program could sneak up and get you. I'm thinking of the UCLA's of the world. I'm thinking of the Washington State's. Those are the type of games, it seems like, where you think Utah goes into cruise control is going to win that game, and that's when they get bit, and that's when they get upset. and that So, yeah, uh, just due to history with the Pac-12, you cannot bet on the Utes making a perfect run. I just I look at the different games, and I'm just Okay, there's some interesting matchups here, but the game of the year in my mind, it's that matchup with USC. I've been talked out of the Washington State game being a trap game just because they're coming off a bye and their record off the bye is unreal. Yeah. Uh, so the one I see that I think, well, that that could be interesting is Arizona, that which is that week afterwards. Arizona could be a, a little bit better this year. Last year, they struggled with Arizona in Arizona. They could be kind of coming off a letdown after maybe beating USC and then beating Washington State off a bye and kind of take their foot off the gas. I think that Arizona-Stanford two-game stretch there is really dangerous for them. I think well, maybe they lose yeah. one of those games. Well, and that's the thing. Uh, David Shaw during Pac-12 Media Day said, I feel like I'm a, I'm a tiger in the weeds, uh, speaking of Stanford. They, they, he, he thinks that this Stanford squad could return to prominence. And if that's the case, yeah, uh, that, that stretch right there could be an interesting one, especially if, it, if, if Stanford is back to being what Stanford has been uh, previously under David Shaw. So, yeah, I think it's actually not a bad assessment there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all plays out. And then they close the year with Oregon and mm -hmm. uh, Colorado. And you, you never, you're not going to have, a, although the Colorado game is in Colorado, weird things happen in Boulder in December. So uh, with how bad Colorado is, I would, I would pretty much bet on Utah winning that game. That's just, yeah, I know that that is true. They are not great. I, you know, that's one of the big things. My dad's from Boulder. He didn't go to see you. He went from he went to CSU. But most of my relatives went to see you. I wish CU was better. I just wish they had a better football team. That's that's just me. I've been to Folsom Field. It's a great stadium. It's a it's a nice atmosphere. Got 
heat stroke at Folsom, uh, at Folsom Field in, in September, a day before I again got heat stroke at a early season Broncos Raiders game. That was that was not a productive trip out to uh, Colorado that that football season. But uh, yeah, I just that that's a side note. I wish Colorado was. Oh. I just wish they were better. Lesson learned. Eric needs to hydrate better. That, yes. That's what we've learned. <laughs> yes, that is true. I definitely, definitely need to hydrate better. All right, let's talk about BYU. Uh, because one of the things I hate most about just really my job, one of the things I hate most about my job is that you can talk about both these teams equally for as ever long as you want, but you're always going to have some person say to you, well, why don't you talk about BYU more? Or why don't you talk about Utah State more? And it's like, dude, I, you know, I'm trying to do our best. They're like a day-to-day where BYU has media coverage and, and our show is mostly BYU. There are youth fans being like, hey, way to represent the U out there. And it's like, well, some weeks we spend all our time talking about the University of Utah, so just shut up and be happy. But that that's, that's more of a personal issue uh, for me. But with, with that being said, BYU, this is where I get to ask you questions. Uh, I feel pretty confident in the offense. Okay. Feel pretty confident. BYU Media Day, I don't think I've ever heard a team more confident in the depth of their offensive line and in the strength of their offensive line than BYU is. And I think if you have a good offensive line, you're going to be a good team. And I think they have a good offensive line. So let me ask you this. Obviously, running back. That's a big thing in flux. Tyler Algiers leaves for the NFL. Who they got coming in at running back this year? What do you think about the ground attack for BYU this upcoming football season? So obviously replacing Tyler Algier from last year, that, that's a pretty tall task, but they went out to the transfer portal and got uh, Christopher Brooks, a grad transfer from Cal, a guy who has uh, had pretty good uh, success with the Golden Bears. So he's going to come in and he's expected to be kind of the lead back for BYU. They got a number of other guys already on the roster. Lopini Katoa, a sixth-year senior. Miles Davis, an upcoming sophomore. Jackson McChesney, who's been a star in different uh, circumstances for BYU. So the nice part is the running back stable, uh, should, should they kind of all pan out, should be pretty deep. And you, you mentioned the offensive line. This offensive line, Eric, goes legitimately at least eight, I think 10 guys deep in terms of starting caliber offensive linemen. And that's going to uh, benefit uh, that running back room. So there is a lot of... Uh, bullish feelings on Utah, excuse me, on BYU's offense. And that is, I think, warranted, especially considering what I think this rushing attack could be this year, just led by what should be one of the, one of the best BYU offensive lines they have had in probably 20 years. That's good news. I, I think anytime you have a strong offensive line, that's just good news for a program. And it's good news for Jaron Hall, a guy who has struggled to stay healthy over the past few years, who I think is a very good quarterback. A lot of hype around him is maybe a day two guy in the NFL draft next year. I don't know if I've seen that quite yet. I'd like to see a big season from him um, to, you know, confirm that a little bit and they'll have a chance to do it. The schedule this year for BYU is just absolutely loaded with marquee games. Um, But, you know, Jaron Hall, what he does well is he's a good dual threat quarterback, uses his legs well. But I thought last year his accuracy, his arm strength, everything as a a passer, I was really impressed by Jaron Hall last year more than anything else. Yeah. 
And well, and let me let me add one thing to that. This is a guy who has really uh, battled through all kinds of adversity to get to where he's at at BYU. If he does pay off and he ends up being a, a day two guy, potentially a day one guy, some of the people out there believe he's a first round talent. I'm with you. I, I think the jury's still out on that. But if he is truly that good, you're going to see him at his absolute best this season because he's got to be at his best this season, live up to those expectations. Uh, everything I have seen from him, seen from him, heard from him, et cetera, leads me to believe that he is intent on having his best season as a BYU Cougar. The only thing, though, in his career at BYU, he has never started an entire season and stayed healthy that entire year. So that's kind of the big bugaboo about him is he's got to stay fully healthy for an entire year. If that happens this year, you can pretty much book BYU's offense being absolutely elite all year long because when he's at the controls of this offense, it, he's proven to be very, very effective. The, the bigger concern is, will he be 100% healthy? That's the question mark. And while you look at the University of Utah and you say, okay, here are three wide receivers that haven't had 500, one, only one has had a 500-yard season, BYU is almost kind of the opposite. Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney are two very good, very proven wide receivers who bring very different skill sets to the table, but are both equally valuable to the team. But I think the big X factor with this offense is Isaac Rex. I I wonder how healthy he is because I, I had to do an article helping out Mitch Harper this week where I had to listen to some Tyler, uh, some Isaac Rex at practice. He says he still can't jump off his right ankle. Yeah. Like it's not that he can't, it's just that he's not confident in it. Cause he, that was the angle he ankle he injured in the regular season finale last year at USC he had to have multiple surgeries on it. So it's more of a, it's more of a confidence thing than anything else. And the timeline for that recovery was a year. Mm -hmm. And, but that game was in what week? It was the final week. It was the final regular season week of the final regular season game of the year. It was game 12. It was Thanksgiving weekend. Right. So, and it just sounds like the way they have him practicing, I just don't believe they'll use him fully for the first few weeks of the season. I think he's on a major uh, pitch count. Uh, Eric, uh, you don't know? No, I, I trust the BYU insider. Everything I'm hearing is that he is way ahead of schedule and they, they expect him to be like no reservations whatsoever to get to, to start. We'll see. Interesting. He, uh, he has been practicing he more heavily than I originally anticipated. Everything I heard is that, yes, he was going to be on a pitch count. And yes, he admitted uh, to the media that there are times he'll take some time. Like if, he, if he needs to take, take a drill off or whatever, the coaching staff has been very uh, helpful in that regard. The nice part is though he is out there and he's playing and that, that alone having him on the field right now is a positive because yes, the early uh, diagnosis was he's probably going to take a full year. He may have to sit out this upcoming season was the original fear because he had multiple surgeries to fix, fix the damage in that ankle. So the fact that he's out there participating in training camp with limited or no reservations whatsoever, that's a very, very good sign for BYU. It's also a matter of how will that hold up when you actually get hit? Sure. Cause, cause I get that training camp is training camp and they do tackle in training camp, but it's, I refuse to believe it's the same as a real well, game. And, and if, and if he's been tackled in training camp, I'd be stunned. I, I'm with you on that. When the bullets are live, as they say, when they finally uh, the games actually count, guys are coming after you trying to take your head off figuratively. That's when it's really going to tell, tell us if he is truly able to be out there and be what he has been for BYU. So yeah, there is still some question marks re regarding that, but the fact that he's been out practicing 
is that that alone should give some confidence to BYU fans. That's the offense, the defense. I feel like the thing, and I really don't know why this is. Like Utah, if you talk about Utah, you talk about the defense constantly. I really do feel like the thing that's undercovered the most here is BYU's defense. I and would you agree with that? I just feel like the talking point is always Jaron Hall. Can the offense stay healthy? How's the offensive line look? What do the transfer running backs look like? All this stuff. I, I feel like very rarely is there talk about the BYU defense. Am I wrong in that assessment? Well, BYU, just for their history, historically, over the past 50 years since Lavelle Edwards take over as the head coach, they've been a program that's been known as their offense. But when BYU's been its absolute best, they've actually had very good and very underrated defensive units. You can go back to 2020, the most recent example of this, Eric. Uh, Eric uh, they had Zach Wilson leading an all-time BYU offense. But the funny thing about this, the, the, the under-told story of that season was a defense that was top 25 caliber. It was a top 25 rated defense. Last year, that defense sunk to the 70s, Eric, in terms of the rankings. They, they they fell off a cliff figuratively last year, and that led to some of BYU's struggles in the tail end of last season. So if BYU's defense gets back to being a top 40, top 30 caliber defense this year, that is what's going to key BYU potentially going 10-2, and 11-1. If they don't have that improvement on defense, then 8-4, and 9-3 and three is absolutely on the table because there are going to be games that BYU's offense just simply won't be able to outscore the opposition. So the defense, yes, it's not getting the headlines because the offense carries the day many times, especially at BYU, but the defense is absolutely critical to any and all success that BYU hopes to have this year. So let me ask you, Ben, do you believe they'll be able to rebound? Because I look at this defensive roster and I see a lot of the same names as last year. And yeah. I understand that age matters in college football. Huh? But if you have a bad defense and then you bring back largely the same number of players that were on that bad defense, how much better is that bad defense going to get? Well, and that's the thing. BYU returns 97% of their production on defense, Eric. 97%. You're that's right. That's crazy. The names are pretty much all the same there for this defense. And yes, there is that concern. Can they really improve all that much uh, if they don't have uh, the, the, the the production they had last year? I think that there will be improvement this year, as you as you as you said, because just the simple fact of the matter that they are getting a little older, they have more experience. The one thing that I have seen in practice, and this is similar to the Isaac Rex uh, conversation, until you really see it in a game, how much can you really buy into this? BYU's defensive line last year, I thought was underweight and under uh, just, just under experienced. They just didn't have the inexperienced, I should say, not not under experienced. They were inexperienced and they were undersized. They had guys playing defensive tackle, Eric, at 260 pounds last year. That you, that's an untenable uh, situation, especially when you're a program like BYU playing the type of schedule they play. Well, some of those guys that weighed 260 last year hit the weight room hard, uh, bulked up, and they've transformed their bodies. There are multiple guys. I, I can I think I looked at the roster there last. Last year, I think there were three guys that were listed at 300 pounds or more on BYU's defensive line, and only two of them really were regular contributors, one of which was injured for part of the year. This year, I think there's at least five or six guys tipping the scales at over 300 pounds, including multiple guys who are expected to be starters or rotation pieces. So the simple fact of the matter, especially on BYU's defensive line, is the fact that they bulked up. They actually should hold up better simply due to the fact that they're no longer at a severe size disadvantage in the run game. 
like I said, it's going to have to be proven on the field when they finally get out there. But I think that the simple fact of the matter is they've hit the weight room hard and tr- and they've taken the criticism they took last year to heart. They've, they've talked about it. They are motivated to go out and prove themselves this year. So we'll find out, but I think that they really understand where they were deficient last year and they've g- done a really good job trying to address it as much as they possibly can in the weight room. It'll be interesting to see if they improve an absolutely stunning stat I uncovered the other day. Uh, They're moving to the big 12 next year. This Mm -hmm. is just a fact. The defense will have to get much, much, much better if they want to compete in the big 12 because Baylor, the defending big 12 champions, they had 44 sacks last year. Mm -hmm. BYU had 20 sacks last year. Baylor almost doubled the sack production they have and and that's a problem and that and that's what you saw stand out in games last year that they lost like that Baylor game they were just out physical on defense they were just pushed around which is unusual for a youth for a BYU offensive line but uh-huh. you know I get the big 12 isn't known for defense but still you've got to get a lot better very quickly and you know I'm interested to see how they recruit defensively over the next few years. Well, and they're, they're intent on improving. I can tell you that much. They've talked about that. Well, so, of course, I don't think they're unintent on well, improving. But, but, see, Eric, the funny thing is that that conversation about the lack of sack production for BYU, it's completely warranted. In Kalani Satake's tenure at BYU, he's never had a team that's really been sack artists. They had one year. I'm trying to think if it was 2018 or 2019. Eric, you're going to love this. They played, I think, uh, there was 12 or 13 games that season. Guess how many sacks they had in that season alone? What? 13. Like, they had one, they had wow. one game, something like that. It was it was absolutely insane. And it may have ended up with, like, 14 or 15 at the end of the year, but the, the, they were averaging one sack on average per game. So – they they understand they understand they've got to be more uh, forceful, especially in their pass rush. Will that result in them potentially this year going out and having a forty five sack season? That'd be fantastic because I think it would be BYU is getting back to being what they really want to be on defense or being what they've never been under Kalani Sitake's tenure. But at the same time, they kind of are what they are. They they had a really high level recruit Logan Fano from Timview High School, which is in the shadows of BYU, who is a, a through and through pass rusher that they were really hoping was going to be part of this squad this year uh, and as luck would have it, he tore his ACL in spring ball so he's Ooh, a late season, he's a late season return at minimum at, at the very earliest it feels like so it's really going to come down to a guy in Tyler Batty he's been kind of the one-man wrecking crew for BYU pass rush wise his entire time at BYU so far if they can find a couple other dudes that can contribute here and there in the sack department it will help them but you're right they need to get better on defense especially as they get ready to join the big 12 in just over a year's time and Tyler Batty, by the way, mm-hmm. he had almost what would that be? He all had almost twenty five percent of their sacks last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm he, telling you, he's a one. He, he's he a had one four, he had four sacks, and four sacks is not a lot, I know. But for a twenty sack team, <laughs> if you think about that, that's a crazy amount of production. It's twenty really, honestly, pathetic about what it says about the rest of the group. Yeah, he had he had 20% of the sacks, uh, four 
20, that's that's 20%. He produced one-fifth of their entire sack output last year. And, and he was the leading sack artist with four. You're right. The number uh, the number is not great for BYU. And let's be let's be real also. Sack, uh, sack numbers aren't the end-all be-all on defense, but they are a big component, especially for making opposing quarterbacks think twice about staying in the pocket as long as they have. BYU's had multiple games during Klein Satake's tenure where it feels like the quarterback is just setting up a chair in the backfield and just picking out his best buddy and tossing him the football because BYU just simply can't get home in the pass rush. That has absolutely got to change. Yeah, we'll see how that ends up working out. By and large, return most of the corners. Don't, you know, I feel meh about, you know, the BYU secondary. I always think they're going to be a lot better than they are. This year, I think this year they could be pretty dang good. Okay. All right. Well, they're talking like they got some swag. I'll give you that. Like the cornerbacks, D'Angelo Mandel, Caleb Hayes, they brought in a grad transfer from Vanderbilt and Gabe Judy Lally that they expect to be a big-time contributor, especially at cornerback. Malik Moore is at safety. He had a really good year a year ago. They're talking a big game on the back end of BYU's defense. We'll see if they can live up to it, though. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, what makes BYU really the, one of the most interesting teams, I think, in college football this year is their schedule. Mm-hmm. They play – if we're being honest, seven really bad teams. They play seven really bad teams and then about five really good teams. Um, I think that the seven really bad teams they play are USF, Wyoming, Liberty, East Carolina, Utah Tech, and maybe Stanford. Uh, So I'll, I'll change. I'll amend that. I'll say six six that so that's okay. six short of bad teams and then six sort of good teams uh and and four really good teams one in baylor one in notre dame who are expected to be uh, a college football playoff contender this year one in arkansas a team that's kind of the upper middle class of the sec right now and uh boise state and utah state which i would say are two kind of more middle tier college college football teams but teams that BYU should have the advantage of just because of recruiting and and things like that let's just break down those go ahead yeah I just let me let me add one thing here you're right there there are some dogs for lack of a better term on on the the schedule for BYU but some actually very very intriguing opponents the bigger thing for BYU is they're 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 trying to balance both having a a really good season once again this year they're 21 and 4 over the past two years Eric they they yeah they've been very good They've been very good. The thing is, this year, this is the final season of independence for BYU if we're going to the Big 12. So they're trying to balance both preparation for the Big 12 while also making sure that they have another successful season this year. It's a very fine line to walk. So I'm interested to see how they manage it, especially because they have two key uh, back-to-back sets that I think are going to make or break this season. They're the home opener against Baylor the following week going up to Oregon. And then later in the season, you uh, you play Notre Dame in Las Vegas in a neutral site game. And then you come home to face Arkansas. I think those four games for lack uh, without the, the other eight games, there obviously are going to matter for people, but those four games alone, I think are going to, in most people's minds, make or break the Cougar season. You go two and two, three and one against that. Guess what? You're probably looking at a 10, 11 win season. You go 0 and four, one and three. Well, guess what? Seven and five, eight and four is absolutely in play. Those four games are going to be the key differentiators for the Cougars. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'd throw in, it's a three game stretch in, in late September to mid October because they play Utah state before yeah. they play Notre Dame and Arkansas and people like to for, conveniently forget, but that Utah state game was very close last year and very competitive until the fourth quarter. And BYU, BYU, let me add one thing. BYU is down to the third string quarterback in that game. That's so. that is true. That is true. And Jacob Conover did not look good in that game at all. But Utah State's always going to bring a fight. I think Utah State's a pretty good college football team. We'll get to Utah State in a minute. Well, it's an in-state rivalry. That's the thing you can count that. I think they can beat Arkansas. I think they can beat Arkansas. I think they can beat Baylor. I think the second time around, Kalani Sataki's teams, when they play opponents twice, usually perform better the second time around. I think they can beat Oregon. I I don't really buy Oregon as some sort of national contender threat type team. I I do think there's a shot. And now it is tough. It's in Eugene, but I think there's a chance they get an upset there. Notre Dame's going to be tough. Notre Dame's going to be really tough. They just have a way better defense than BYU does and the potential to bully them on the offensive line with a really great pass rush. So I think Notre Dame's going to be a tough one, but overall, I just think that BYU is going to be in the national conscience a lot this season. And I mean, a lot, I think they are going to, they, they might get more national recognition than Utah does because they, they just play, They just play big games throughout the entire season. Like there's never a stretch where they're not playing a big game. You had a hot take cannon out there, by the way, Eric, we need to play something here. Cause that's, that's, that's quite the take, my friend. No, I I really do think it's true. Like who, who's the national media going to be talking about more? If, if Utah somehow let's forget the Florida game, Utah doesn't really play anyone of note until USC and then Oregon at the end of the season. Like, nobody is paying attention to the Pac-12 right now. That's just the, the fact of the matter. Whereas in September, BYU is playing a, a college football sweetheart, media sweetheart in Baylor. Everyone's in love with Baylor. Everyone's in love with Dave Aranda. And then they play Oregon. That's going to be a big game because it'll be a late-night game at ESPN will broadcast at 8.30, and, and that'll be a big name. They play Notre Dame, which is arguably one of the three biggest college football brands in the nation. And they play Arkansas, an SEC team that fancies themselves as someone that can make noise in the best conference in the country. Sure. I just think there's a lot of opportunities for BYU to be in the spotlight this this season, whereas Utah, it's more limited to Florida, USC, the Oregon game because let's be honest the national media is not going to take interest when Utah plays UCLA or Oregon State that's that's not going to move the needle nationally well and okay so I okay I'll I'll agree with you on that the biggest thing is if BYU is winning games that is where they're going to differentiate themselves is the fact that yes we the national consciousness because they're winning games they're competing on a national level you're right the Pac-12 we all know it they're getting the short end of the stick attention wise from the national media and yes Utah they don't really necessarily I guess have those marquee opponents especially in the first half of the season Uh, but so 
I think both of them are going to be are featured uh, pretty prominently nationally. But yeah, the biggest thing you got to do if, if you're the Cougars is win those games. You can't just go out and just lay eggs and continue to expect to be talked about. You got to win as well. And that's one thing the last two years BYU's done. They've won a lot. Like I said, 21 and four the last two years. They have won a lot of football games. You continue to do that, the national media will continue to pay attention and talk about you. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what ends up happening with BYU this year. That was our BYU talk. Congrats, we talked about BYU. Did we talk about BYU as long as we talked about Utah? Let's just make sure we we got an even amount. Is there something I'm missing on BYU? I think I think you know for the most part. Just the one thing about BYU is this is a program that they've had some quiet confidence about them all year, all year long, uh, Eric. So keep an eye on the Cougars. This is not your this is not your BYU squad. You're like, oh, they're going to be plucky underdogs. No, they 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 got some confidence in themselves. Also, love the uniforms. Love the uniforms. Just love the uniforms. It's just a great uniform, especially the Royal Blues. Uh-huh. I, I just. Really enjoy Utah State's uniforms. I think they have great uniforms, but uh, I will give them love. I, I would say I like Utah's more because I graduated from Utah. But if I was an untrained observer in a third party, I would say BYU's uniforms are better. They they just objectively are. But that's also because I like I like the color blue a lot as well, which doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah. I just want people to come away from this being like, oh, he, he doesn't really know who he roots for. It's it's just like this weird conglomerate of all three. And I would say that's largely true. I just want the state to be good and to get respect. That's all I really want is for people to not, you know, totally crap on Utah as an entity, like yeah. as, a, as a state. I would like for that to stop happening. Uh, so... Part of that is if sports are good, there's something to point at and say, hey, they've got a good sports state. So what a rant that was. I'm trying to find Utah State in my magazine. Here it is. Let's get to Utah State. A lot of big questions for me about Utah State. Okay. Uh, one, can they protect Logan Bonner? Because the truth is last year they flat out could not. Blake Anderson's system hides that a lot because it's a quick passing kind of West Coast style, hurry up, air raid type offense that doesn't ask the quarterback to hold on to the ball for a long time, but ask the quarterback to drop back a lot. And Logan Bonner got hit a lot. And I mean, a lot last season and probably ended up being more hurt than people think he was throughout the entire season and had to leave the LA Bowl, of course, with a knee injury. And that's another question of mine is Utah state kicks off a week from now, uh-huh. The coaching staff has not officially said anything about Logan Bonner being ready to start. There is a sliver of my brain that thinks they might go with Cooper Lagasse for these first two weeks, because one, you play UConn, which is a bad program that is struggling, but you're probably going to win against And the other is Alabama. And let's just be honest, Utah State's offensive line lost one offensive lineman to terrible off-field decisions this season and other offensive linemen to things like graduation and and so on and so forth. And you're going up against the best defensive line and the best set of edge rushers in the nation in Will Anderson 
in Alabama. Why would you put Logan Bonner coming off a knee injury behind a questionable offensive line in week two if ultimately you know you're probably not going to beat Alabama? Why not just save him for the Weber State game in Logan to, you know, start the season there? That's just something I've kind of had on the tip of my brain. The people I talk to at Utah State don't think that'll happen. But I just don't see how it makes sense to rush Logan Bonner back because I think there's a chance he could get re-injured if he plays against Alabama. Well, and see, that that's the thing about it is you, you want to keep him healthy because what really matters, obviously, is the Mountain West uh, Conference play. And you're right. If there's any question about his health, maybe they do opt to play Cooper Lega. But if if he is good to go, you put him out on the football field. Speaking of Logan Bonner, he, he battled through all kinds of digs and dents last year. Eric, you and I both saw it up close. You were producing a lot of those games. I obviously watch uh, Utah State pretty closely along with BYU and Utah just for my day job. Uh, so the thing is, he took so much abuse last year and he battled through it all. If he feels like he's good to go, if, if he tells the coaching staff, no, I'm good, you put him on that football field. So uh, I get I get the thought that you have because you do want to protect him, especially like a guy like Will Anderson, who is just an absolute animal off the edge for Alabama, could make life absolutely miserable for Logan Bonner. But the bigger thing is, I just I, I if he feels like he's good to go, you trust him and you put him out there. Yeah, I mean that that is a good point. I just I worry about him staying healthy. I hey, I, I, well, I worry well, about I worry about the offensive line. That's what I worry about because everyone has made this big deal about, oh, they lost, you know, oh my God. How about Devin Tompkins? Devin Tompkins, DT. That's who I'm looking for. They lost college, college DT because Derek, Wright. There's multiple guys. They lost at the wide receiving core. There's no doubt. The thing about that is I'm not worried about the wide receiving core. They brought him. Two transfer guys from Power 5 schools, one in Brian Cobbs from Maryland. Don't know how that's going to work out. But the other one is Xavier Williams, and he played at Alabama. And I just believe this. In this era of Nick Saban recruiting, he has consciously made an effort to find the best wide receivers in the country, period, to give him the best wide receiving group in the country, period every single year and he has successfully done so and if Xavier Williams isn't good enough to fit in with the best wide receiving group in the nation I still think that means he's pretty damn good so I think that he's going to be you know this magazine and our lads have him lining up as a backup there's no way Xavier Williams is a backup by like the third week of the season this is a guy from Alabama recruited by Nick Saban that is going to be a Mountain West contributor. There's just no other way around it. I think he might be the best player on on this offense. That's my hot take. I just think Xavier Williams is the X factor for this group, and I think he's going to be a great player this year. Well, and see, that's the thing about that. There's the opportunity there for him because you're right. They lost so much production, especially in that in the receiver department. So guys like Xavier Williams get their shot. And that that's the positive if you're a guy like him. You're looking for an opportunity to play. And you're right. He was recruited by the likes of Alabama. He went to Alabama. That, the, there's something about this kid. He's got some talent. 
Will he live up to that expectation? Well, similar to our other, our other conversations, until they really take the field, I don't think we necessarily can uh, count our uh, chickens before they hatch. But the, the the opportunity alone exists, and the hope is that he will take that opportunity and make the most of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Quickly on the defense, because I do want to get to the national teams. The defense, I don't know. I'm not sold on they lost a lot. Where do you come down on the defense? I I, I generally – I like Holly Matu Apuaka. I think he's a very good player. Uh, you know, I, I like Hunter Reynolds, who was a pretty good safety last year. Other than that, there are a bunch of guys, but, you know, a Johnny Carter's up and down, kind of a middling cornerback who's moved to safety, who moved from safety to cornerback. So I don't know. I don't know how to feel about the Utah State defense. They were very bad last year, just in general. Uh, There's a reason every game was a shootout and every game was a comeback win. Like to have fourth quarter comebacks, you have to give up massive leads in the first three quarters. And that's what this defense did consistently. And again, like BYU, they return most of the same guys and they lose key contributors. Like, I don't know. I, I think the defense might be a real problem. Well, Nick Henninger, losing him was a, was a big factor, defensive end especially, I thought. A.J. Vong Pachong is one of my favorite dudes, just name-wise. He's going to be back for this defense. You're right. The defense needs to improve. They need to have a better output because you're right. It was a bunch of shootouts for Utah State last year, and they were on the benefit the benef- the beneficiary end of winning those games, obviously in route to that Mountain West Conference title. So credit to them. They won when they needed to. That that That's a credit to this program. But you're right. The defense needs to improve. I think uh, Coach Banda, Ephraim uh, Banda, and their defensive coordinator, he's intent on improving them. The the, the question is for me is, uh, do they have the horses to truly improve? And that right there, I, I'm not 100% convinced that they do. So I guess I the if you were asking me, Eric, so in the state, uh, of all six position groups, so you're talking offense, defense for, for Utah, BYU, Utah State, which one has the biggest question mark that I'm not necessarily convinced will uh, improve? I think it's probably the Utah State defense because you're right. BYU you it seems like the, their production coming back they should improve this just may be me not knowing what utah state's got and they're going to come out and shock the world maybe but that's the one group that i feel like yeah there's a lot of production returning but at the same time is that the production you want returning that that's the big question mark for utah state so yeah i'm with you i've got questions about that defense and the the fact that they were as leaky as they were last year if the offense isn't as elite as it was last year well does this team go from a 10 win season suddenly and they're playing for six and seven wins and they kind of sink back to the middle of the mountain west that very much could be the case unless this defense really does make some marked strides but i'm not 100 hundred percent convinced that they will yeah we'll we'll see how it all plays out but i'm interested to see how utah state plays this year mountain west is going to be competitive this year air force slotted to be very good this year mm-hmm. so uh that is that let's rapid fire just so this doesn't go two hours long and i like to keep these podcasts listenable just very quickly go through the rest of the country and and take some teams that we're interested in um paying attention to big 12 by the way spoiler alert for me this is going to be very quarterback driven i just like quarterbacks um 
Big 12, I'm going Texas. I always go Texas. I'm just a Texas sucker. Like, I just want Texas to be back so, so bad. Like, that's all I really want in life is just for Texas to be back just to see what that's like because Texas has never been back in my lifetime. And I would just like to see what it's like to have Texas back. So, Texas, please be back this year. And okay. they've got one of the most interesting quarterback positions uh, in the nation because Quinier's basically has to have a top 10 quarterback year this year yeah. because if he doesn't chances are this even if he does have a top 10 quarterback year he's gonna have to transfer because arch manning is coming in and i just hate to break it to you but arch manning as a freshman is absolutely going to be starting for texas that's just in the first year of the sec that's just the way this is gonna go down like you're not gonna like I love Peyton Manning with all my heart. He is my favorite athlete of all time. I just want to meet Peyton Manning so badly. But the Manning family shadow controls almost every league they're in, and there is no way they will allow Arch Manning to sit on the bench for a year in Texas. There is just no way they will allow that to happen. So Quinn Ewers has to have a big season, and so I'm interested in Texas. You for the Big 12? Uh, okay, so Eric, help me with the parameters here. Is this just a, a team that I'm interested in watching from each of these conferences? That yeah, time? just like who do you think you're going to end up – like you watch a lot of college football. You've admitted hey. this. Who do you think you're going to end up watching the most this season from it, this conference? It, this is going to be the, the most out-of-the-box take probably that I'll have on this show. The Kansas Jayhawks. I know, I kind of thought you might go to Kansas. Because I, I want to see if Lance Leipold can just get Kansas doing anything. That, that's the thing. They have been down for so, so long. They have been just awful, horrendous, just, just atrocious. If they win three or four games, that would be incredible. And by the way, they've kind of been the Achilles heel for Texas the last few years. So that's yeah. kind of the, fun, the, other, the, the antithesis of your take there. So there you go. Give me the Kansas Jayhawks. Rock chalk. Big 10. I said quarterbacks. I'm not going to go Ohio State. I'm say. just okay. I'm just fascinated in Michigan because Michigan last year, Jim Harbaugh got the monkey off his back. He mm -hmm. beat Ohio State. He went to the college football playoffs. They lost a lot. They lost a lot on mm -hmm. defense, which is what made them special last year. What does a successful Michigan season look like this year? That's my big question is – for that fan base, it, the expectations are always unrealistic because it's a big college football name brand power. And for the most part, college football fans are unrealistic about expectations for their teams. But Michigan feels like they would view even a 10-win season as a disappointment after going to the playoffs last year. I'm very interested to see how this Michigan season plays out. I have not looked at their schedule. I have not looked at their schedule. Let me pull that up right now. Unless you have it memorized by heart, does Michigan play any big out-of-conference games of note this year? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I'm not going to okay. lie. Okay, gotcha. Not. I couldn't tell you either. They, well, actually, the answer is no. They play Colorado State, Hawaii, Connecticut. That's oh, a, that's, that's like um, – That's 3-0 and right there. Like, you better go 3-0. and You better blow all those teams out. Like, come on now. Oof, that, that's the only, tough. The only question mark in that one is potentially Colorado State, but even then, no. Yeah, right. no way. All right. If Colorado State beat Michigan, that'd be really bad. Eric, just, 
Eric, just because I'm a sucker for programs, I'm just interested to see if they're going to blow up or follow, or, or they're going to they're figure things out. Give me the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Okay. Scott Frost has got to figure something out. Or he's going to be out of a job this season. They lost. They they were three and nine a year ago, and they I think it was a six or seven of their losses were within seven points. Can they turn that around? If they do, well, guess what? They could, they could, he could save his job for at least a year or two longer. If not, guess what? Scott Frost is out of a job, and Nebraska's hitting the reset button, reset button once again. They lead the league in offensive linemen vomits per practice, according oh. to Scott Frost. Did you see that the other oh, day? Yeah. And see, that's not a badge of honor to wear, especially in this day and age of college football. That's that does, like that you're out of shape. Yeah, that, that's, not, that's nothing good. That means you are trying to give your guys rhabdomyolosis or just giving, giving them absolutely horrendous things. Do not do that as a coach. Don't wear that as a badge of honor. That's the stupidest thing you could have said. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't seem like the smartest guy in the world. SEC, best conference in the college football. I like the SEC. It's just a thing I like. I don't get to watch a lot of the games because, you know, I kind of conflict a little bit. But still, I like CBS on SEC. Tennessee. Okay. Really interested in Tennessee. They had a really good offense last year. And can they continue that over? Who is their quarterback? Oh, my God, I'm forgetting. Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker. He's got a really memorable name as well. Uh, he was very good last year. I think that there's a chance that they've got the right guy in a coach in Jeremy Pruitt. Nope, uh, it's no. uh, Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel. Jeremy Pruitt was before. Uh all these college football coaches do not stick in my head. This is why this is an NFL show. But this, you know, I I watch college football outside of the state of Utah as a hobby. So let's uh, let's move on to you, the SEC. Who are you interested in seeing? Okay, can I do a split on this? I got two. Okay, teams. okay, yeah, go for it. So I I got one, and uh, so this is kind of interesting. Texas A and M, obviously, uh, there, there's that big hullabaloo with what uh, Jimbo Fisher and uh, Nick Saban had to say about one another earlier this season. A and M has got to live up to the hype. The funny thing is, though, uh, Jimbo Fisher's being paid all kinds of money, and he's got the same record at this juncture that one of his predecessors uh, in, um, and I'm forgetting the coach's name, a former Arizona coach. Arizona. Oh, what was his name? Um, uh, this is horrendous. That we're forgetting. always wear shades. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin. Kevin Sumlin. Yes. Same That's record at this juncture of their careers at Texas A&M. That's crazy to me. So Texas A&M is one of them. The other one to me, I'm looking at Ole Miss. What does Lane Kiffin do this year? Yeah. There's some, there's some intrigue there with Lane Kiffin. He's a, he's a wild card in the media, all that type of stuff. And he's a wild card, especially with his teams. So I'm, give me Ole Miss and A&M. Those are the two I'll be tracking pretty closely. Not to mention Utah quarterback there. Yeah, Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart. So uh, that's a good one. I should have taken Ole Miss, honestly. I, I think I'll be watching a lot of Ole Miss this year as well. Yeah, this feels like a huge year for Texas A&M. Feels like all the recruiting stuff really has to pay off this year. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for them to uh, cash in. The ACC, I'll go here, Miami. I'm really interested in Miami. I yeah. think they have the quarterback. Uh, I, I think the coach, I, I've, you know, Mario Cristobal is a guy I respect a lot as a head coach. I do think there's a chance that they're probably not in the national title conversation this year, but I wouldn't be shocked if they end the year ranked in the top 10 to 15. I feel like that's a very realistic expectation for Miami football this year. And the ACC is kind of down. Who knows what Clemson's going to be? They're, they're, there's a chance that they take over the throne and become the ACC team of prominence this year. 
they, they could do that. I was actually going to pick Miami myself, but I'll, I'll pick another team. I'm actually going to go with Clemson. I, I just yeah. wonder, I just wonder what Dabo's got up his sleeve because he's had to re- completely kind of revamp his coaching staff. Is DJ Uyunglele actually going to live up to the promise he had as a five-star prospect coming in? Didn't live up to it last year. Uh, there's a lot of questions there about the Tigers. They've got national championship aspirations and expectations. Can they live up to it? Only time will tell. Uyunglele is an interesting guy to me because – I was sold after that Notre Dame game. I was like, oh, yeah, they're set a quarterback for the next four years. They're just going to do Clemson thing. And then he just didn't work last year. He just was not a good quarterback. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. I I would agree with that. The G5, I'll go somewhere in the Mountain West just because that's what I'm going to track the most this year. Air Force. Give me Air Force. There seems to be an unreal level of hype around this Air Force team. People seem to think they could contend for the conference title. I don't know about that. Utah State beat them last year. I don't know if I'm sold on Air Force as an entity. But give me Air Force, man. I'm just interested to see how Air Force play. And they just play a very unique brand of football, Air Force. I, I agree with you on that. It'd be interesting to see how they do. Uh, so I'll actually in the G5, I'm going to stick on the, the, the academy front, the, the military academies uh, army. I, I've got some intrigue for army because there's, because of one thing, there's one name out there, Andre Carter, the second army might have a first round draft pick on their squad this year, Eric, he's a six foot six, 240 pound pass rusher. And he may be a first round draft pick next year. He is that talented. I don't know where in the world they found this dude or how they convinced him to go to army, but give me the, give me the black Knights, Give me the cadets. That's there's some intrigue there with army. Got it. Pac 12 teams. And let's make this really interesting. Pac 12 teams, not named Utah or USC. Okay. Uh, I'll go with one I, I, I'm very interested in. Washington State. Cam Ward, I believe, is Cameron the quarterback. Ward, yeah. mm-hmm. Gets a lot of hype this offseason. I'm interested to see. And, you know, I'll go a two for here. Washington, too. Uh, okay. So like, the, apple, the Apple Cup is what you're The Apple with. Cup. They're okay. just – Washington's under a lot of pressure. They have that big coaching change, obviously. The program has kind of gone downhill over the past few years. They also have some big out-of-conference games. They play Michigan State. That's going to be a big game. They could kind of get back on the right track and on the map this year. Washington, I think, is an interesting team to watch this season. Okay, I, I can respect that. Uh, I'm actually I was going to take a two for as well. I'm going to the to the Arizona schools, Arizona State and Arizona, because Arizona State under Herm, who knows? I, I think it's going to blow up. That's my personal opinion on the matter. And at the same time, Arizona's done a really good job under Jed Fish recruiting at a high level, but. What do they actually do on the football field? That's the big question mark. They brought in Jaden Delora, the former Washington State quarterback. They've got a very nice trio of wide receivers, it looks like. Uh, just looking at it, uh, there's some intrigue there. Suddenly that Arizona may all of a sudden overtake Arizona State, and I'm just intrigued to see if uh, Herm Edwards can save his job to any degree or if it truly does just blow up in Arizona State's face. Yeah. Wildcard teams, any team in the nation. You, you you can take here. That's not a local team. Oh, geez. For uh, me, I'm going to take an easy one, Notre Dame. Okay. I think Notre Dame is the number one threat to Utah not making the college football playoffs this year. 
Okay. Because I think it is an absolute lock two SEC teams get in. And I think it's an absolute lock Ohio State gets in. And I think if Notre Dame wins every game they have on their schedule, except week one against Ohio State, the committee will favor a one-loss Notre Dame team over a one-loss Utah team. And I just think that they have a better coach than they've had in the past few years. I think there is a chance that the squad performs better for the new guy than they did for Brian Kelly. I, I, I think that that's a real possibility. Also, I have a friend that's a Notre Dame grad, and I have Notre Dame gear, and I went to a Notre Dame game last year. So kind of I've adopted Notre Dame as a secondary team of mine. I like Notre Dame. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Notre Dame this year. And they've just got big dudes. I, I have attended another Dame game myself as well. That was actually one of the things on the bucket list, seeing touchdown Jesus walking around Notre Dame campus, seeing the golden dome. Like that's, that's, that's something if you're a college football fan at heart, you've got to experience at least once in your life. I, I would encourage everybody, even if it's not your team per se, that's taking on Notre Dame, just go experience it. That, 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 that that's, I'm glad you got to experience it, Eric, because that's actually a really, really fun thing to experience in person. All right. Wild card team for me, man. I am trying to kind of think about this. Uh, okay. This is going to sound really, really weird, but uh, give me the Hawaii rainbow warriors. Uh, okay. That is really, really weird. They were, they were just absolutely, they, they're so bad. They're, they're, they might be one of the worst teams in the country this year, but it's because of what their old coaching staff did to this program. They just absolutely, it was just atrocious the way they were doing things. And they did bring home a hometown hero in Timmy Chang as their new head coach. Uh, one of the just the icons of Hawaii football in the last 30 years was just a legend in so many ways. He wants to be there. He wants to will, uh, build a successful program, get Hawaii back to being what it was under June Jones, who he played for and rose to prominence under. Uh, it's going to be a multi-year long effort. This is, might be one of the longest rebuilding jobs in all of college football, but I've got some sick, uh, I guess, addiction to watching Hawaii late on Saturday nights, and it's not going to stop this year, even though they may be one, literally one of the worst teams in the entire country. Okay, yeah, that is a really weird pick. I, I'm just saying, I, I've, I've, got, I've got some weird fascination with them, and I cannot quit. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Jake. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a few years since you've been on, but it's always fun, and maybe we find a, a quiet mid-afternoon in late October to revisit and, and see how some of these teams are playing out the stretch. I appreciate you coming on, my man, and – uh well, why don't you just give uh, people a quick shout out who, you know, my 40 listeners who are not from Utah uh, <laughs> and who make up the entirety of the people who listen to this fan base, where, where they can maybe find your your work if they're interested in learning more about BYU. And uh, then we can get out of here. All right. So uh, first off, thanks for the invite, Eric. It was good to be back. And anytime you need me, I'm, I'm, I'm available. But uh, if you want to cover, if you want my work, thoughts on all things sports, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. If you want my thoughts on all things BYU, I do do a daily podcast covering all things BYU. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's called Locked On Cougars. It's available on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, search that out. And then of course, my day job, me and Eric work at the same radio station. I'm the executive producer of DJ and PK, our morning drive radio show, where we talk a lot of Utes, Cougars, and Aggies, but we also fit in the NFL, college football as a whole. We just like to have a lot of fun. So stop by, let me know, and I'd love nothing more than interact with any of your listeners. 
And this is just a lot more fun than talking about what the Jazz are going to be this year. So that also is true. Yeah, that's good. Point. So so let's uh let, let's forget about that. Let's forget the Jazz even exist until January. Let's just forget. <laughs> like uh, that's kind of going to be my approach this year. Is just conveniently forget the Jazz exist until January, and then when the January comes around, be like. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And pay mostly attention to college basketball. And then maybe watch like the last 10 games of the season. I'd be okay. shocked if I watched 10 jazz games total this year. What what a waste of what a waste of time that franchise is. Just just because of how my what my job entails, I'll probably be watching every single one of them, but I get where you're where you're going. Well, yeah. Well, I, I don't envy you because I I uh you know I, I I will not be watching every single one of the jazz games. If I do I would like somebody to come and shoot me because that w- would not be very, that would not be very fun. Uh, I, I would not prefer to watch the jazz games this year. They, they, they do not seem to be very good. So yeah, it's too, it's too bad. Wish, wish the jazz were better. All right. Well, before I get in too much trouble, we'll, we'll, we'll end this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at EndZonePod. Follow me on Twitter at Eric Jensen Sport at Eric 18 Utah and check us out. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you later this week. Peace out.